here's why we do this series on Joseph. Because all of us can relate to Joseph at some point in our lives. All of us will walk through, have walked through, or are walking through something that Joseph walked through. You're not the first person to go through what you're going through right now. You're not the first person that will go through the thing that you might go through. Joseph is actually a, a shadow, a type in the Old Testament of one day what Jesus is going to go through. You know, our Bible is, is composed of two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. This year, I have been preaching a lot from the Old Testament, and I've been diving into some of the stories of the Old Testament because it helps prepare and connect us to what God wants to speak in the New Testament. So the beginning of the book is a shadow of what's going to happen at the end of the book. It's preparing us for what's coming, and so Joseph actually is the longest story in the book of Genesis, longer than Abraham, longer than uh, Jacob, Isaac, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, Noah and the Ark. Joseph's story is very important. There's something about this story that God wanted us to get. And there's parts of Joseph's story that all of us will be able to relate to. So today, we're going to start off with the beginning of Joseph's story. It all begins in Genesis 37 and verse 1. We get loud when we open up the Bible, by the way. Come on, somebody. Now, Joseph was already born at this time, so he was a teenager by the time we get to Genesis 37. So there's not much a backstory to Joseph's life except for he was born by a woman named Rachel who happened to be uh, Jacob's favorite wife. And I know that sounds crazy because back then they had multiple wives. Thank God that's not still happening today. Amen. Some of y'all are like, yeah, amen. <laughs> Come on, guys. Get your mind out of the gutter. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the father of Joseph. This is the history of Jacob's family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. I want to stop right there. Already we notice something is interesting about this story. Joseph has brothers from other mothers, right? There is like... A lot of, there's a lot of family dynamics at play in Joseph's life. This is a dysfunctional family. Like if, if there was a family in the Old Testament that belonged on Jerry Springer, it was this family. <laughs> this family had so much issues, so many dysfunctions. There was four moms. Each of them were competing to see who would have the most children. And so Jacob has uh, uh, 11 boys. Joseph is one of them. And here he is surrounded by these brothers that are from other mothers that just don't like him. And to make things worse, his dad uh, makes him the supervisor of his brothers. So here he is, a young teenager, overseeing his older brothers from other mothers. And there's been scandal. There's been uh, murder in his family. There's been deception. There's been cheating. There's been lying. You thought your family was bad? Like, this family was really bad. And here's the good news. God loves dysfunctional families. God loves, in fact, he uses this dysfunctional family to bring the Messiah into the world. Jesus came through this very family over a thousand years later. So if you think God can't use your family, you are mistaken, my friend. God loves to use families that don't have it all together. So if you're just now coming into church because you just got done fighting in the parking lot, you're in the right place, my friend. <laughs> Come on, somebody needed to hear that right now. You're like, thank God he can use my family. If he used Jacob's family, he can use yours. And here's the other thing I love is that Joseph stands out in a dysfunctional family. 
Joseph follows God even though his family is kind of messed up. And so you don't have to make the excuse that because your family has issues, you can't follow God. God can shine on you and through you even in a dysfunctional home. So we get to verse two and it says, Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So he was kind of a tattletale, right? Like he would hear, he would see his brothers doing things they shouldn't be doing. And I can just imagine Joseph walking out as his brothers are sweating hard at work. And here's Joseph looking at him and like, dad's not gonna like that. I'm telling dad on that one, like he was already making his brothers mad. And we get to verse three and it says, now Joseph's dad, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other children. So his dad wasn't a perfect father. Here he had favoritism. He had a son that he liked more than the other sons. And it says that because uh, his son Joseph was born to him in his old age, Jacob really loved him. And one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. Now today I've got a green jacket on me. Come on, somebody. I won the Masters. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I think about how sometimes gifts that are meant to bring happiness actually end up bringing pain, right? Like you get blessed with a promotion and you think everyone's gonna be happy for you, but it ends up that everybody hates you even more, right? You get a vacation and you're like, guys, check it out, look at my vacation, and nobody's liking your pictures on Facebook. Like they hate you even more. Like I don't care about your vacation, <laughs> you know? Uh, you get a car, you get a blessing, and you think everybody's gonna be happy for you. But here's the, here's the good news. While the world may not be happy for you, there's a Father in heaven that is celebrating you, that loves you so much, and that's all you need anyways. You don't need everybody's affirmation. Joseph was kind of searching, seeking for his brother's affirmation. And watch what happens next. In verse four, his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. See, I'm convinced that we love the way that we are loved. Now, that's not right, but that's just how life is oftentimes until we allow God to change our hearts. But these brothers, they were reacting to Joseph because they were lacking love in their own life. So they hated their brother, and it says they could not say a kind word to him. One night, verse 5, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the dysfunction, the hatred, he's got the coat on, one night Joseph has a dream. And right after he has a dream, and by the way, this isn't like a dream where Joseph's writing down goals of one day he wants to do something. This is like a nighttime dream. He wakes up from the dream, and he immediately goes to tell his brothers all the details about his dream. And it says that they hated him even more. So we have degrees of hatred. You can dislike someone, then you can really dislike someone, then you can hate them, then you can really hate them, then you can really, really. <laughs> like this, this chapter is like a degree buildup of hatred. And so watch what happens. Joseph says, listen to this dream, guys. He's so excited, like he is stoked about his dream. He goes, we were out in the field and we were tying up bundles of grain and my bundle stood up. And guess what your bundles did? They all bowed down around my bundle. What do you guys think that means? <laughs> right? Like, if we didn't already hate you, like, when we hate you more, if I was one of the brothers, I would be laughing slash mad, like, dude, get out of the house. Are you kidding me? Like, Joseph's like, hey, I had this dream. You guys are all going to bow down to me. Can you imagine if someone said that to you? That would be crazy, right? And, but, but it gets even worse. His brothers look at him and they say, are you going to be our king? Like they're taunting him. What, is this, what does this even mean? We hate you even more. And you think Joseph would learn his lesson, but he doesn't. 
Watch what happens next. Verse nine, Joseph has another dream and he tells his brothers all about it. Can I just say, not everybody needs to hear all your dreams. <laughs> Like, not everybody needs to know all the details of your dream. You need to know this message because some of us have told the wrong people the dreams and the secrets that God's put in our heart, and we need to learn how to practice some discretion, right? So Joseph, he, he's, he's learning the hard way. So he tells his brothers, guys, I had another dream. Listen to this one. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. And I, I can just imagine him counting his 11 brothers. 11 stars all bowed down to me. What do you guys think that means? You know, <laughs> like here he is again. This time his father rebukes him and he says, what do you mean with all these dreams? Are your brother and, and your, is your mother and I and all your brothers gonna bow down before you? And his brothers were jealous of Joseph, but his father pondered and wondered what this dream meant. I wanna stop right here and just talk to you for a moment about hearing a dream from God. I believe that just as God gave Joseph a dream, God wants to give you a dream. God has a dream for your life. God has a dream for your future. Things may not be the way you want them to be right now. Maybe your past was pretty bad, but I'm telling you, your future is bright when you trust in God. He has a dream for your life. How do you get a dream from God? I believe God speaks to us through the word of God. That's his revealed will. But I also believe that God speaks to us through his concealed will, through prayer, through times of devotion. God begins to give us revelations and dreams. Here's the question. How do you know if you have a dream from God? You may not be asking that question, but one day you will. You will have something stirring in your heart and you'll, you'll, you'll want to know, how do I know if this is of God or if this is me? Like if this is just uh, my dad's dream for my life or if this this is my, if this is God's dream for my life. I'll tell you a few things. Here's how you know if it's a dream from God. If it's a dream from God, it will bring glory to God. God's not going to give you a dream that won't bring him glory. If the dream only makes you look awesome, it's not from God. The dreams from God will bring glory to God. It's going to make God look great. The dream that God gave Joseph was not all about Joseph. Secondly, if it's a dream from God, it will help others and not just you. So a dream from God is not a selfish dream. You might be sitting here today and go, I have this dream of making a million dollars. God's not going to give you a million dollars if you don't have a generous spirit. God's looking for people that he can use to bless others. A dream from God will not just benefit you, it will help other people. And here's another one. If it's a dream from God, it will continue to resonate over time in various ways. Joseph not only dreamt it once, but he dreamt it twice. He didn't know how to interpret the dreams, but over time he would learn to interpret. Every dream has a journey. Every dream goes through a process. And so Joseph would begin to learn that this dream was from God, that it would bring glory to God, that it was bigger than him, that it would impact others. He realized this dream was resonating. It wouldn't go away. When something continues to resonate inside of you, you're sitting in a service. The preacher says a word that completely connects. It's a confirmation. I remember this person coming up to me a few years ago, and they were in our young adult group when I was the young adult pastor. And they said, Paul, several years ago when you first started, there was one service where you said something and you don't even realize you said it. I don't think it was in your notes, 
but you said it, and it was exactly a decision I had been praying about. It began to resonate more and more. I heard it through other preachers' sermons. I started finding it in books I was reading. I'd be in random places, and that same thing would pop up. And has, has anyone ever had this happen before? A resonation of a dream, a resonating, like you're supposed to take that job, or you're supposed to go eat a Philly cheesesteak, or you're supposed to... Go to Zio's after church. I, it's like you just keep hearing Italian food. Maybe, that's, maybe it's your stomach or maybe it's God. But there's things that resonate. And if it's a dream from God, it won't go away. And here's the last one. If it's a dream from God, God will make it happen. That's good news, church. I'm going to say it again. If you have a dream from God, God will make it happen. If it's not a dream from God, no matter how hard you try, it won't come to pass. But if it is a dream from God, hell can't stop you. Storms can't stop you. Hateful brothers can't stop you. Mean people can't stop you. False accusations can't stop you. Imprisonment can't stop you. The pit can't stop you. If you've got a dream from God, it's only a matter of time before God brings it to pass, church. Hold on to that vision. Here's a thought. If, if God can bring his dreams to pass in your life, that means you don't have to manipulate the circumstances to make it happen. I had a person come to me when I was a teenager, and it was, this, is, this is like 15 plus years ago, so I can tell the story. There's some stories that you can't tell until it's like 20 years past, past it happened. you got to patch things up with the people. But this person came to me. This, I was like 15 years old, and he was an older man. He said, Paul, I had this dream. I said, awesome. You know, what was the dream? He said, here's the dream. I had a dream that you're going to marry my daughter. And I was thinking about his daughter, and I was like, I haven't had that dream. <laughs> I don't want to have that dream. Come on, don't get all spiritual on me. You know you don't want some dreams to happen that other people are trying to prophesy over you. I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. I, am not, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Because, here's why. Because I had a dream, I was liking this girl named Ashley Hope McAuliffe that one day would become Ashley Hope Doherty, my wife. But see, here's the point. Some of us are using this whole thing of God gave me a dream to manipulate other people to do stuff for us. If God gave you a dream, he can move on the hearts of man to make it happen. You don't have to force people with spiritual abuse to try and make this thing happen. Don't try to go and say, hey, you're supposed to give me your house. No, I'm not supposed to give you my house. You're supposed to give me a million. You're supposed to pay for my mission trip. No, I'm not supposed to. If, if God's going to give you a dream, God's going to make it happen. You won't have to force or manipulate it to happen. Joseph was learning the journey of his dream. He was learning how to handle a dream. I want to talk to you how to handle the dreams that are from God. Once you realize you have a God dream in your heart and you need this church, you may not have it right now, but it will come. As long as there's breath in your lungs, God has a dream for your future. You may not know what it is yet, but as it starts to build up, you will need to know how do I handle the dream that God's put inside of me. Here's why. My dad in 1982, a year after this church started, had a dream one day that we would be in this sanctuary having church service in our own home auditorium where we wouldn't have to set up and tear down week in and week out and use a gymnasium or a tent or the maybe center. But you know, that dream in 1982 didn't come to pass until 2007. So 25 years, a dream was sitting in his heart before it ever came to pass. For Joseph, it would be 13 years before his dream came to pass. Some of us in this room, we have a dream. We just don't know what to do in the meantime. 
And I want to tell you, this: the beginning of Genesis 37 gives us some lessons on how to handle our dreams before they come to pass. How do I handle the dreams that God has put in my heart? Number one, practice discernment. While Joseph is a type and a shadow of one day Jesus who will come, who is clothed in his father's love, who will go through the hostility and the rejection of his 12 disciples and go through the crucifixion, Joseph is still not a perfect man. And Joseph has to learn the hard lessons that sometimes discernment can save you some of the pitfalls along the pathway towards your dream. Now, the good news is, even when we miss it and we're not discerning, God has a great way of turning all things together for good, right? So I'm convinced that even though Joseph maybe shared too much of his dreams with the wrong people, I think God had a plan to use it all anyways. But that's not an excuse for you and for me to just walk out carelessly without a prayer, without a sense of discernment. We have to walk in wisdom. Because later on, after Joseph's story, another book was given to us called Proverbs. And I think God put the book of Proverbs in the Bible to show us not everything needs to be shared with everyone. The Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, not everybody is able to handle the dreams and the secrets that God is putting in your heart. You have to be careful and practice discernment. Why? Why do I need to practice discernment? You might be asking, why can't I tell people about the, the ideas, the dreams of my heart? Because there are dream stealers out there. There are people who do not care about your dream. In fact, there are people out there that will take your dream and use it as their dream because they don't have one and they will give you no credit. And so God has to show you how to be careful. There are other people out there who will try to break your dream apart. They'll say, you don't come from the right family. You couldn't do that. You're not educated enough. You've made too many mistakes. They will try to break you down because they don't like you. Then there are people like Joseph's brothers that literally hate you. It says in verse 8, because of Joseph's dream, they hated him all the more. Why do we practice discernment? Because there's some haters out there. There are some people who do not want to see your dream come to pass, and you've got to be careful who you share it with. You know, a part of this story that I think we, we often miss, we always place ourselves as the hero in every story. Like, I'm David against Goliath, right? I'm Jesus, and everybody's betraying me. They're the Judas. I'm Joseph, and everybody's trying to come against me. But what if you're not Joseph in the story? What if there's a season in your life where you are the Saul, in David's story. You are the brothers in Joseph's story. Could it be that in the church of God, there's a temptation to get jealous of other people's blessings? I mean, here we look at the story and the house of Jacob, listen to this church, the house of Jacob was considered the house that would become Israel. This was Israel in the making. These were the 12 tribes of Israel. You've got Gad and Simeon and Judah, where Jesus is going to come out of. And in the very house of Israel, there is internal hatred among the brethren. There is a sense of jealousy. He doesn't deserve that blessing. I'm the older brother. He doesn't deserve that coat. I've been working harder. And sometimes in our lives, we don't know how to handle other people's blessings. We've got to take a step back and, and ask ourselves, is there a little bit of Joe's bros resonating inside of me? Come on, Joe bro. You got a little bit of Joe bro inside you. You've got to deal with that jealousy. You've got to go down to Home Depot and buy a ladder and get over it because 
It's, it's not always going to happen the way you want it. It's not always going to be the way you want it, right? You may not get your blessing, but hey, here's the good news. If God blesses them, he can bless you too. Even though it hasn't happened yet, it'll happen one day. Learn to celebrate other people's blessings while you're waiting for your blessing. Learn to celebrate other people's promotions while you're waiting for your promotion. Don't get bitter. Don't get jealous. Your time is coming. Hang on to the vision. These brothers, they didn't know how to handle it. The second thing we need to understand on handling the dreams in our heart is we've got to protect the dream that God gives us. We've got to protect it. How do we protect the dream? First of all, I think being in church is a great way to protect it. Being in God's house, being in a place in an environment of faith. I think being part of a connect group, getting in the word of God, praying, encouraging others, getting a dream team, right? You know who not to tell, but maybe find one or two people that you can trust that are going to support you, that are going to pray for you, that are going to ponder it in their hearts and say, if God can do it, if God said it, God can do it. Get, get protection around the dream. Protection means to put a shield up. This last week I was with a group of friends and, and one of them was sharing a dream that God had given him. And, and we could tell there was a tax coming against this dream that he was moving forward on. And right there in that moment, we said, let's put on the armor of God. Let's put on that armor of God in Ephesians 6 in the Bible. It says we put on the armor of God. We don't war against uh, 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 the, the battle with physical armor, but with the spiritual armor. So we put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Our shoes are shod with the gospel of peace. I lift up the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. Why? Because I've got to protect the dream that God's put on the inside of me. The enemy comes like a thief to steal kill and destroy. You've got to have your guard up. You've got to lift your shield up. You can't just be walking around. There are darts that will come to destroy the dream that God's put inside you. Why should we protect our dream? Because our dream is not just about us. Our dream is about future generations that are on the other side of our obedience. When God began to stir a dream in my heart, I was 20 years old. God began to stir a dream in my heart to go on TV, to minister on TV. That was 10 years ago. It didn't happen until just this last week. So for 10 years, I had to protect the vision. I had a lot of people coming and telling me, Paul, you don't really have a calling to preach. You're supposed to play guitar. You're supposed to sing. You're supposed to travel. Good people, well-meaning people. Isn't it crazy that well-meaning people can try to talk you out of the dreams that God's put in your heart? But I, I allowed the, the dream of God to just resonate on the inside of me. God, if it's from you, you'll bring it to pass. And it will impact people for your glory. You've got to protect the dream because there are people that will try to take it. Here's the third thing. How do you handle your dreams? You've got to pass the test. You've got to pass the test, church. Every dream has a journey. Every dream goes through a process. And every dream must be tested. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says this, that tests and trials will come to, to show whether our faith is genuine. Just as fire tests and purifies gold, your faith is far more precious than mere gold. In other words, God is going to test whether this dream is really meant to come to pass. Whether you really have the character to sustain the dream. Keys, I want you to come up. Because here's the point in this. Lean in, church. 
If you can't pass the test, God can't trust you with the palace. If you can't pass the pit, God can't put you in the palace. You've got to learn to pass the test on the way towards the palace. To, to perfect the, er the areas in your heart that God's looking for. Can I trust you to lead others? Today's work prepares for tomorrow's promotion. Today's tests are preparing you for tomorrow's promotion. It's a test this summer, this week. You're going you're gonna to face situations that will try to weigh you down, try to steal your passion, try to knock you off your race, try to get you bitter looking at other people, looking and being jealous of their blessings. You've got to learn to pass the test today so that you can get the promotion tomorrow. You receive that, church? How do we pass the test? I want to end just with a few thoughts. How do we pass the test? We see in Genesis 37, verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into a deep pit. We can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of all of his dreams. Verse 23, when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his robe and they threw him into the pit. The pit was normally used to store water, but it was empty at the time. See, this was a dry, empty well. Those wells were like a bottle. It was a skinny neck at the top and then it would begin to become wider at the bottom. Just skinny enough for him to fit through and then fall. And these wells were at least 30 feet deep. So here he would fall into this dark well and hit the bottom of the pit. Have you ever been at rock bottom before? Sometimes you gotta hit rock bottom just to know that God is your rock at the bottom. I believe Joseph in that place, in that pit, was learning what it's going to take to pass the test of adversity that would try to knock his dream out, that would try to knock him out of the race that God had called him to run. I think the first step that we take in passing the test of adversity is we've got to keep the faith. This morning, I want to challenge you to keep the faith. The only way that light would shine into that, that deep, dark pit was right above him. you got to keep your eyes on the light where your help comes from. You might lose your coat, but you can keep the faith. You might lose your job, but you can keep the faith. You might lose your son, but you can keep the faith. You might lose your dad, but you can keep the faith. Don't let what's happened against you destroy what's happening inside of you. Joseph had to decide, I am not going to let my brother's hatred steal my hope in God. My hope was never in my family anyways. My hope was in the God who sits on the throne and he still reigns forevermore. Some of us have placed our hope in things that will let us down. Joseph had to hit rock bottom to realize his rock is unshakable in the Lord. What rock are you standing on? What rock are you holding on to? Is it the rock of your family? They'll never let me down, Paul. No, they will, because life is not fair. There's stories I could tell you that I can't tell you for another 10, 15 years. I am so thankful, though, that no matter what happens, God is always with me. God's always with you. He's with you. He's for you. Keep the faith in God. Our faith is not in this government. Our faith is not in the job that we hold right now. That job could be gone tomorrow. My faith is not in the, the, the jobs report each month or the economy or our president. My faith is in a king who sits on the throne. Your faith today should be beyond this world, beyond America, beyond the next president, beyond the economy. 
because everything else is shaky. Keep the faith. How do you handle the test of adversity? You keep the faith in God. Secondly, you get bitter. I mean, you get better. <laughs> I was just testing you to see if you were listening. You get better instead of getting bitter. My dad came to my grandma, his mom, and he looked at her the, the day after she had lost her husband. They were having a funeral service for her husband. She had lost him. This was 40 years ago. At a very young age, she lost her husband. My dad was just a very a young man, hadn't even gotten into ministry yet. Lost his dad, and my grandma was so discouraged. Here she was, heartbroken. She had three sons. Her husband had left her, and all three of her sons were married. She was all by herself as a widow. And my dad looked at, at his mom and he said, Mom, you could sit on this rocking chair the rest of your life and be bitter. Or you can get up and get better. Thank God she got up and got better. Grandgrand's 92 years old today. She's serving in this church. She's impacting so many people. A dream has come inside of her heart to get her whole family serving the Lord. And she's seen it come to pass. She could have gotten bitter, but she decided to get better. This weekend, she's at her high school reunion. There's only a few people there. <laughs> 92 years young, serving the Lord. You have a choice. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. I can't promise you that your family's always going to be there for you. Whether they die or whether they abandon you, the Lord will never abandon you. And you've got to choose that no matter what comes my way, I am not getting bitter. I am going to get better. I'm going to come out of this pit better than how I went down into it. Joseph decided I'm getting better. The third thing is the pit is preparation for the palace. How you handle the pit is how you'll handle the palace. If you can't learn how to forgive in the pit, you won't be able to forgive in the palace. The pit is character development for the palace. You've got to uh, uh, learn to, to yield to God while you're down in the pit to say, God, where do I need to grow? What areas in my heart need to change? God is more concerned about who you're becoming than the pace of, uh, of your dream coming to pass. So if he has to take 25 years before the sanctuary is built to get your character ready to handle it, he will. Because he's more concerned about your character than the, the, the speed of your dream coming to pass. The pit is preparation for the palace. I'm telling you today, God has a dream for your life. You may not know what it is yet, but he's got a dream for you, for your family, for your marriage, your health. He's got a dream for your business, for your finances to impact generations to come. But you've got to lean in. The pit prepares you for the palace. Your pain has a purpose. Everything you're going through right now is preparing you for where you are headed. Nothing will be wasted. There will be no day that is wasted for the preparation of where you're headed. So lean in. God's using these trials to purify you. Just like Peter said, those tests are purifying you. A couple weeks ago, a plane crashed. And they were talking about what could have caused this plane to crash overseas. And they said there's small little parts on a plane that must go through heat and pressure that are the most important parts on the plane that hold the plane together so when it goes in the sky, it's able to stay in the sky. If those parts don't go through the heat and the pressure to be molded and formed exactly how they need to be, there is potential for that plane to go down. And I think about in your life, there will be a day that you take off. Some of you have already taken off. But you better be careful that you allow those parts of you to go through the heat and the pressure to be able to carry you once you get in the sky.
See, talent can get you into a position, but character keeps you in that position. And the pit is character development. Don't skip the pit. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't skip the pit. <laughs> I'm almost done. Here's the fourth thing right here. Get stronger. Get stronger, church. Wake up! Guys, we're headed into our best days yet. No more of this talk like, oh, we're doomed and gloom. We're defeated. No, we are not. We are more than conquerors. Maybe I'm super optimistic or maybe I'm just full of faith. But my spirit is strengthened when I see things happening out in the world because I just go, that's why we need to be on Hillsong Channel. That's why the church of victory is about to step in its best days yet. That's why we're starting a special needs ministry. That's why we're going out to Rwanda and Malawi. That's why we're doing Because even though the world might get darker, the church will shine brighter if she gets stronger. She must stand. She must endure. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. And in your life, you got to get stronger. You got to get thick skinned. You got to have a rhino hide. Nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to get through. No offense is going to penetrate to your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. Get strong, church. Don't let every little offense knock you down. Don't let every little thing that happens to you defeat your spirit. A deferred heart is, it, 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 no one can be able to get through to a heart that's been crushed. And so we've got to protect our hearts, protect your spirits during summertime. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your persistence. Don't lose your, your praise. Don't lose your perseverance. Here's the last point right here. Stay surrendered. Stay surrendered. How do we handle adversity? We stay surrendered. What happens next in Genesis 37, verse 28, it says that Joseph is sold as a slave. He's sold through a caravan. His brothers take his coat, they dip it in blood, they show it to his dad, and they say, Dad, your son Joseph is dead. Looks like he got torn apart by a wild animal. Says his dad is crushed in verse 34. His dad takes that coat and he weeps and no one in his family can comfort him. He is completely disheartened and discouraged that he lost his son Joseph. And in verse 35, look at this, Genesis 37, verse 35. No, verse 36, verse 36. Meanwhile, I love, I love how this chapter ends. It's showing us two different scenes at the same time. So one scene is a discouraged dad. Your son is dead. It's over. There's no hope for Joseph. Meanwhile. Here's Joseph. We're going to talk about it next week. God, I'm still trusting in you. But it looks like I've taken two steps backwards. Little did Joseph know. Meanwhile, they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. That's an interesting thought. The king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. What looks hopeless might be one step closer towards your destiny. What looks like a setback might be a setup for your comeback. We'll get into that next week. You receive that, church? I want to do something today. What have we talked about? What can we learn 
This week, all of us will face tests and trials. This week, all of us will have a chance to get bitter or get better. It is our choice. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. Let's respond like Joseph. Let's stay surrendered. Right now, across this room, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes.